Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So excited to have you join me today. And uh, this is part number three, The Kindness of David to Mephibosheth. And I'm talking to you today about four ways that God meets our deepest needs through kindness. But before we dive into the message too far, you know, there are three things people in the happiest country never do. You know, for five years in a row, Finland has been ranked number one as the happiest country in the world. Well, according to the World Happiness Report, uh, there's a reason for that. A Finnish philosopher and psychologist did a lot of research, and they said there are certain fundamentals of happiness. What is it that makes people in Finland so exceptionally satisfied with their lives? Well, here's the answer. To maintain a high quality of life, a happy life, there are three things we never do. Uh, so when you think about the Finns, they, uh, they're living over there right up against Russia, right, uh, as their neighbors, and, and you wonder how do they stay so happy? Well, there's three things they don't do. Uh, number one, Finns don't compare themselves to their neighbors. Uh, there's a famous line by a Finnish poet that says, don't compare or brag about your happiness. I think about comparison. Uh, somebody years ago says, uh, the word comparison means compare, I, sin. Because when I begin to compare my life with somebody else, I'm going to find somebody who has more stuff than I do, who are better off than I am, and then I'm going to become jealous, right? I might even resent them because they have more stuff than I do. They seem to have a better life than I do. On the other hand, uh, I could compare myself to people who have less. And I can look at them and say, wow, man, you're a low life. Uh, you don't have the things that I have. Uh, you're not blessed as much as I am. And I could become filled with pride. You see, the Finns really take this don't compare ourselves to our neighbors to heart, especially when it comes to material things and this overt display of wealth. One guy said, I ran into the wealthiest men in Finland. Uh, he was pushing his toddler in a stroller towards the tram station. He could have bought himself an expensive car, he could have hired a driver, but he opted for public transportation. That's what success looks like in Finland, just like everyone else. So don't compare yourself to others. Number two, the Finns don't overlook the benefits of nature. According to this 2021 survey, 87% of Finns feel that nature is important to them because it provides them with peace of mind, energy, and relaxation. You see, in Finland, employees are entitled to four weeks of summer holiday. Many of them use that time to hit the countryside and immerse themselves in nature. Spending time in nature increases vitality and well-being, and it gives a sense of personal growth. When I think about the beauties of nature, God has given us a wonderful creation to enjoy. The Bible says that we should enjoy all the things that God has given to us. Now, notice I put the emphasis on enjoy. I think we're living in a day and age where many people worship creation. I like what one person said. He said the average American, maybe the reason why we're, we're so unhappy is because we tend to worship our work, we tend to work at our play, and then we play at our worship. We don't take worship that serious. 
But when we think about the beauties and the the benefits of nature, I want to encourage you, go out and enjoy God's beautiful creation, but remember who created it. And when you think about creation, may it drive you to the Creator. May it encourage you to have a relationship with the Creator. Don't get hung up on just nature in and of itself. Remember the one who created it all. Well, they don't compare themselves to the neighbors. They don't overlook the benefit of nature. And then Finn's thirdly, don't break the community circle of trust. You know, research has shown the higher the level of trust within a country, the happier its citizens are. Finnish people tend to trust each other and they value honesty. For example, if you forgot your laptop in a library or you lost your phone on a train, you can be quite confident that you'll get it back. You know, kids often take a public bus home from school. They play outside without supervision. Why? Because there is a community level of trust, a circle of trust. When you think about relationships, you know, if you have a happy marriage, I promise you, you have a marriage with a high level of trust. Your wife trusts you and and she trusts you in return. Uh, There is this trust that is not broken. Well, we're looking at the story of David. And we're looking at how he treated Mephibosheth. And we're looking at how God does miraculous things through kindness and how God uses kindness to meet our deepest needs. Let's review the first two, and I'll give you the last two that we ran out of time on yesterday. Number one, we learned that dignity is a most valuable asset. When Mephibosheth comes into the palace of King David, he bows down before the king and he says, What is your servant? that you should take an interest in a dead dog like me. David takes Mephibosheth, who thought that his life was over, and he brings dignity to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was an outcast. He was from that previous dynasty. Uh, He had heard about David, and and his fear was that David was going to kill him. But David does just the opposite. David brings dignity into the life of Mephibosheth. That's what God's kindness does to us. Are you battling low self-esteem and low self-worth? The problem is that you spend too much time thinking about yourself. If you want to overcome low self-esteem, think about who God created in you. Think about what He's done for you. Keep your focus on Him, and you will have a a higher self-esteem. You'll think about yourself on the proper level. You know, the Bible is very clear that a man ought not to think more highly of himself than he ought to. But I think it's also true that we ought not to think of ourselves more lowly than we ought. Listen, if you have a relationship with God, He maintains that proper dignity within your life. The second thing we learned is that acceptance is the most wonderful feeling. You know how it is when you were a kid growing up and people say, hey, I want you on my team, right? How that made you feel. And you know how much it hurt when somebody says, I don't want you on my team. Acceptance. David, in one magnificent gesture of kindness, reaches out to Mephibosheth and restores him to an exalted position. He says, Mephibosheth, you can eat at my table. Four times in that short chapter of 2 Samuel chapter 8, David speaks of Mephibosheth eating at his table. You know, there's something about eating with people. Shows that you accept them. 
That's what I love about our small group. We always get together, have a meal. Say, hey, everybody, come on and join us. Everybody's welcome. As a matter of fact, Jesus was criticized for eating, accepting sinners. I want you to know, because of the kindness of God, He accepts us into His family. We show true kindness for others when we reach out and we accept them. Well, there's a third point we got to cover. Just before I get to the third point, I want to make one other statement about acceptance. You know, commitment and acceptance are keys to a successful marriage. Gary Thomas wrote these words in his book, Sacred Marriage. He said, if we are serious about pursuing spiritual growth through marriage, we must convince ourselves to refrain from asking the spiritually dangerous question. And here it is. Did I marry the right person? A far better alternative to questioning one's choice is to learn how to live with one's choice. A character in Ann Tyler's novel, A Patchwork Planet, comes to realize this too, but she realizes it too late. The book's 32-year-old narrator has gone through a divorce and now works at an occupation that has him relating almost exclusively with elderly people. As he observes their long-standing marriages, he comes to a profound understanding. I was beginning to suspect that it made no difference whether they'd married the right person or the wrong person. He said, finally, you're just with who you're with. You've signed on with her. Put in in a half a century with her, grown to know her as well as you know yourself, or even better, and she's become the right person. Or the only person might be more to the point. I wish someone had told me that earlier. I would have hung on. I would have hung in there. I swear I would have. I never would have driven Natalie to leave me. What a powerful story. Maybe today. Instead of thinking, well, I married the wrong person, why don't you be kind to that person? Why don't you pretend that you're madly in love with that person? It will change your whole perspective. It will give you a whole new lease on your marriage. I promise you. You see, most marriages fall apart because one spouse expects too much from the other spouse and too little of himself. I want you to raise the expectations for yourself, lower the expectations for your spouse, and you'll discover that you will have a wonderful marriage. Well, we've got a third point we've got to cover. God reaches out and he shows us his kindness and he gives us dignity, a most valuable asset. And then he accepts us into his family as David accepted Mephibosheth. Now, acceptance is a most wonderful feeling. Number three restoration. This is a most cherished need. Now, David was not through with Mephibosheth. He gave him a new identity, a new position. Now he was going to provide for his needs, food, shelter, financial resources. David said, I will restore to you all of your grandfather Saul's fields. Hear that word restore. It means to bring back into existence. 
or to use it to put someone back in their proper and rightful position. What David did for Mephibosheth is exactly what the father, in the parable that Jesus gave of the prodigal son, same exact thing the father did. He inherited the riches of his grandfather. It was like winning the lottery. It was like having a rich uncle leave you his fortune all in a single day. You know, restoration is a theme throughout the Bible. Joel chapter 2, verse 5. Joel says, you know what God's going to do for us? He will restore to us the years that the swarming locust hath eaten. Now, Peter says, you know, after you go through a season of suffering, maybe that's where you are right now. Uh, You've lost somebody really close to you. You know, we have a member in our church who has lost, I think, 11 family members within the last seven months. Peter reminds us, after your season of suffering, in all his grace, God will restore to you, and he will strengthen you, and he will establish you. You see, that's what restoration is all about. The psalmist prayed to the Lord that he would restore to him the joy of his salvation. When I think about restoration, you know, some people wrongly understand restoration. Some people think that I will be restored when I deserve to be restored. But when God restores us, it's not based upon what we've done. It's based upon what he's done. Mephibosheth did not do anything to earn the favor of David. David said, I will restore to you, not because of who he was. David was restoring to Mephibosheth a gift to restore the grandfather's land because of the kindness of Jonathan. You know, Job had some friends in the book of Job. You know, if you ever go through a really hard time, you'll probably have a few of Job's friends show up, and and they were miserable comforters, right? As a matter of fact, one of them said to Job, in Job chapter 22, he said, now Job, uh, listen to the instructions that I'm going to give you. These instructions that you need to remember and store them in your heart, right? You ever have anybody come at you like that? Say, I'll tell you what's going wrong in your life. Uh, You need to remember what I'm telling you. Uh, You need to put this right in your heart, okay? And this is what this miserable comforter said. If you return to God, he will put right all the wrong that is in your home. Then you'll be restored. If you give up your lust for money and you throw away your gold, God will restore you. Now, that was a misapplication, right? When you think about restoration, I'm restored not because I earn restoration. It's a gift. Psalm 119, I will never lay aside your laws, said David. Why? Because God uses his laws, God uses his word to restore our joy. Jeremiah chapter 30, you know, the minor prophets and the major prophets all talked about restoration. Uh, Jeremiah says, you know, there's a time that's going to come where the Lord is going to restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah. He goes on to say, God's going to bring them home to this land. God's going to give it to their fathers. They will possess it. They will live here again. Now, that's a great message of hope. But what happens if you were at the beginning of the Babylonian captivity? and you died before it was restored. Does that mean you've lost that opportunity to get the land back? Well, God passed it on to your fathers and your forefathers. As we think about this, 
Ezekiel said, God will bring about restoration. God would end the captivity of my people, God would have mercy upon them, and God will restore their fortunes. Even Daniel got in on the subject of restoration. Daniel chapter 8, 26. And then in your vision, you heard about the 2,300 days to pass before the rites of worship are restored. Now, this number is literal. It means just that. But none of these things will happen for a long time. So don't tell anybody about them yet. So Daniel is speaking prophetically of what happens in the book of Revelation. Amos talked about being restored. Amos 9.14, God says, I'm going to restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They are going to rebuild all those cities that were ruined. They're going to live in them. They're going to plant vineyards and gardens. They're going to eat their crops, and they're going to drink their wine. Even Zephaniah understood the concept of restoration. He says, you know, there's this little tribe in Judah, a small remnant. They're going to be restored. They're going to lie down to rest, and the Lord will visit his people in kindness and restore their prosperity again. Now, we're living in a day and age where people need to be restored. You know, I think about where our culture is today. There are major cultural wars that are taking place. And I look at what is happening with transgenderism. And I I read a wonderful article by a pastor named Vaughn Roberts. And he draws a line of distinction made by John Wyatt. And uh, he makes a distinction between Lego art uh, or a Lego kit and restoring art in view of the human body. He says, in view of the human body and the art restoration view of human body. He says, according to the Lego kit view, is that we have these bodies that are like Legos, and we just have emerged from the slime by chance, and that there's no design whatsoever in how things have happened to us, and the structure of the human body is free of value. So if you want to change your sex, well, that's fine. It's like a Lego kit. You just go ahead and pop one piece off and pop another piece on, and uh, you just do what you want. It's a Lego kit. Interchangeable parts. But we are not like a Lego kit. We are more along the lines of art being restored. The art restoration view acknowledges that we are not machines. We are flawed masterpieces. You know, if you see a work of art and you're asked to restore it, you don't look at it and say, well, I think it would look nicer if we just put a pair of spectacles on this person. Or the scene would look better with a car in the back instead of a hay cart. Now, to do that would break the code of art restoration. Art restores respect to the work. And you know that their job is to bring out the artist's original intention. So they work at cleaning and restoring the vivid colors. They study the work in the painter so that they can carefully get back to what it once was. They work so that people can see the original in all of its glory. Roberts states further, the aim is to restore the creator's intention, but we are not to try to change it. And that will certainly mean accepting the sex that God has given us. God wants to do a great work in restoring your life. He wants to restore what the locust hath eaten. The enemy comes along to kill and destroy and to steal, but our God has come along to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. Well, I told you there's four ways that God reaches our deepest needs 
through his kindness as we look at the story of David reaching out in kindness to Mephibosheth. We learned, first of all, that dignity is a most valuable asset. We learned, secondly, that being accepted is a most wonderful feeling. We learned, thirdly, that restoration is a most cherished need in our lives. And we close with the fourth point. Loving affirmation is a most godly trait. Robert Burns said, The heart of benevolent and kind most resembles God. So David asks, Is there anybody left in the family of Saul so that I can show the kindness of God to them? You know, the word for kindness in the Bible is the biblical word, the Hebrew word, hasid. It means loving faithfulness. God had demonstrated his grace and his kindness to David in so many ways. His life had been spared on on numerous occasions. He fought the giant Goliath and he won. As a matter of fact, that's when he met his lifelong friend, Jonathan. He had escaped the snares of dangers of wild beasts. His life had been redeemed from the pit of pain and, and hunger and desertion more than a few times. Now, David wanted to give back that kindness. He wanted to reciprocate that kindness. You see, those who have been touched by the grace of God want to pass it on. In Proverbs chapter 12, it says that anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. But a good word, a kind word, cheers it up. I want you to know, we should be committed to loving and affirmation. It is the most godly trait. When I think about the kindness that we experience in being married, I think about penguins, right? Did you know that over 90% of penguins mate for life? It's amazing the commitment that a male and a female penguin would have. You know, after a mother penguin lays an egg, she takes that egg and she places it at the feet of the father. And the father will snuggle that egg. And the father will be the one that will provide the warmth and incubate that egg. You know, a lot of time is spent warming that egg and keeping that egg warm before it hatches. You see, there's an expectation that a penguin is going to be born. And unlike humans, right? Uh, Oftentimes, men will impregnate another woman and then the man abandons ship. When we look at a male and a female penguin, it is the male that will stay with that egg. Uh, The female is going to go off for 60 to 66 days, depending on, on what type of penguin we're talking about. The female will go to sea to feed while the male stays and incubates the egg. She returns several weeks later, usually just before the egg is ready to hatch. And she goes back to relieve her mate so that he may feed. The male fasts throughout this time of nesting, throughout this incubation period. He lives off the reserves of his body fat, which may be three or four centimeters thick, and he will lose up to 45% of his weight. 
He's out there on a, on a frigid slab of ice. And it can be as short as a month, or it can be as long as two months, depending on, on what kind of penguin we're talking about. Uh, the temperatures that that penguin will endure will go down as low as negative 60 degrees Celsius or negative 76 degrees Fahrenheit. That penguin maintains that temperature of about 87 degrees for that egg, standing without moving. You know, the greatest single cause for failure for some species is the mistiming between the parents for the the nest relief during incubation. And this usually happens when the female fails to return at the right time. And then the male, after the egg is hatched, deserts the nest. A male will spontaneously leave the nest and the eggs when the motivation to feed overcomes that for incubating the eggs. That put to aside, think about the love that a penguin has for their unhatched egg. I want to ask you a question. Who can you bless this week with kindness. Who needs your loving kindness in their life today? So Lord, I pray that we will live out the message that we have heard today, that we will live in kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.